0: Trinity, and it kind of freaks everybody out, like, how can God be one but yet three? We'll talk about that. But as you're finding your way to Matthew chapter 28, I know that for many, you're probably familiar with this passage at some level. I have preached on this passage a few times here at this church, because in this passage what we see is what's known as the Great Commission. It's the great mission of the church. It's what Jesus told his disciples, what their emphasis, what their priorities were going to be as followers of him. And although that is absolutely true, absolutely true, what I want to do today is to actually use this passage to begin our study on the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Because the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is a study about God. It's... It's trying to understand who is the God in whom we're saying we're coming to worship this morning. That's what we're trying to answer. Now, a word of warning before I go further. This series, over the next few weeks, is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit different than what we typically do here. And I've mentioned this numerous times, and you guys know this. um, Our bread and butter, so to speak, um, in the pulpit is to do expositional preaching, where we simply pick a book and we walk through it line by line and we're gonna get there. we're actually gonna be doing jude in june, which I know is super catchy I didn't come up with it, but we're really excited. We're really excited We're gonna be in in the book of letter jude in june in the month of june So we do expositional preaching, but we also do other forms of preaching sometimes uh, like last week, which is like a standalone message We also do biblical theology series, which we did a few weeks b- back where we looked at the kingship of jesus and we trace that theme from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. But this series, church, is going to be different than any of those I just mentioned. Because what this series is going to do is it's going to hone in on a particular doctrine, a particular study of God. What does the Bible say about the nature of God? Right? Why does that even matter for us today? That's what we're going to try to answer. Does it matter that Christians throughout all time have been confessing that the God of the Bible is a triune God. I think it matters a lot. And it matters because we want to understand the God we worship. Christianity really at its heart is knowing and loving God as he is, church. That's really what Christianity is all about. And so Christians, unlike any other religion in the world, believe that God has revealed himself in his word, right, in in the Bible, as a Trinitarian God. Now, if you are not a Christian, or maybe you're not quite sure where you're at, this is actually a really good series to attend, or maybe invite someone into, because we're going to be looking at who is the Christian God, who is the one true God. And so I would encourage you, um, maybe if you're just investigating or maybe you know somebody who's investigating, it's actually a really good series uh, for them to be a part of. Now, when I say that we worship a triune God, let me just be very clear from the, the onset. It doesn't mean that we worship three gods. It does not mean that we worship three gods. The Bible is actually very clear. On uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is one. But yet, why do we use that language Trinity then, right? Why do we we talk about God the Father, or God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? Well, let me give you a couple of historical definitions. Some some guys are much smarter than mine who have tried to put on paper, when we say Trinity, what do we believe? So here's this first definition, and it'll be on the screen. That there is one true God. Who is absolutely and eternally one essence, subsisting in three distinct and ordered persons without division and without replication? Or let's look at our very own 1689 confession. What does our confession of faith say? It says this this divine and infinite being consists of three real persons the Father, the Word, or Son and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having divine essence without this essence being divided. All right. So I know if, if you're uh, an Apple user, you know when you get that spinning wheel of rainbow death? Some of you are, are giving me that look right now, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get there, but it's, it's taking me a little bit longer. That's okay. That's okay. What this series is going to do is it's going to stretch us. It's going to stretch us to really understand what is the Trinity. And we're going to ask God for, to provide us right the ability to know who he is truly. But make no mistake, church. My goal over the next several weeks is not to master the Trinity. It's not to master the Trinity. You know, I have a a master's degree in theological studies, which is such an audacious title for a degree. I have not mastered theological studies in the least bit. But what we want to do is we want just to better know the God who is, who truly is. And how do we plan on doing that? How do we plan actually to investigate this? Well, we're going to go to the word of God, church. As we go to everything, it's our authority. It's sufficient to teach us. And so what that means, though, is that you're going to notice, I am not going to use any illustrations when I try to describe the Trinity. Right? I'm not going to talk about an egg. I'm not going to talk about water or anything else. Because simply put, there is no illustration that could adequately represent the nature of God. And, and truthfully, I think many of us know this at some level. Because if God is holy, right, if He is a holy God, it means He is set apart, that there is nothing like Him. And therefore, there's nothing in this world that we can compare to Him and say He is like this. By nature of God being holy means that He is set apart, that He is altogether different than any of His creation. And so I'm not going to use a bunch of, or any illustrations for that matter. And and I know some of those are very popular, and maybe you've heard some. I think, at best, those illustrations are misleading. And at worst, sometimes they're just downright heretical. Okay? So we're not going to do that. We're actually going to go to the Word of God. That's that's what we want to go. How has God described Himself? So before we actually look at Matthew 28, what do we need to do? We need to pray one more time. And I'm going to ask that you pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and then we'll look at Matthew 28. Well, Father, as we just continue on with our, our worship of you and as we continue on just looking at your word as we approach this subject, God, we ask, we do ask, we do plead with you that you would just just illuminate our own hearts and minds to better understand you. We know that we are limited in our knowledge and we're okay with that, but God, we do want to know you truly. And so, God, we ask for your help in that. I ask for, for every person in this room that, God, that you would help them understand you more today, more this morning. God, I pray for our teachers and our kiddos next door as they're looking at the same passage. God, that you would even help those little minds and those little hearts better understand you, and that you would just give those teachers wisdom in their communication of you. And, God, we ask all these things. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Let me read it for us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God indeed. All right, well, before I actually look at this passage, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to, you're going to have to just trust me on this. If you were to turn to your concordance in the back of your Bible, and you were trying to look up, okay, where does the word Trinity show up in Scripture? Do you know what you would find? Nothing. Zippo. Nada. You would not find any verses in all of the Bible that reference the word Trinity. It's not there. It's not an explicit word that's used in the Bible. So then why do we use that word Trinity? Right? Why do we even use that word then? Well, it's actually, like most English words, it comes from, from a Latin origin. The Latin word is Trinitas. Trinitas. And it's a combination of two Latin words, and and this will be important as we look at this. The first Latin word is unitas, which means unity, and the the second part is trios, which means three. So when you combine those as trinitas, what the Latin is trying to communicate is that there is one in three. There's unity, yet there's threeness. And I believe that actually rightly, depicts in principle what the Bible actually has to say about God. As that there is one God, so there is unity, but yet that one God is distinct as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. Now some have wrongly concluded that because we don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, that means that we're just making this up. right? We're, we're just adding to the word of God. Well, this is why I wanted to bring you guys to Matthew 28 this morning. So go ahead and look back at verse 18. I want you to see, although we do not see the word Trinity, I think we see the Trinity. In verse 18, and what we are seeing for context is this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's about to ascend back to heaven, and he is giving his disciples this great commission. What are they to do? be about? What are they to give their life over to? And so he tells them in verse 18 that all authority on, in heaven and earth has been given to him. But then he says this in verse 19. Here's the mission of the church. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, What name is Jesus referring to? Jesus is referring to God. If you're going to be a follower, a disciple, if you are to to baptize someone in name, it is only God. To communicate anything else would be simply idolatry. So he's talking about God, but yet notice, how does Jesus actually describe the name of God? He describes it as the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So although Jesus does not use the word trinity, I think we can do the math and we can see, but he's referring to three different persons. Three different persons. Jesus does not say to make disciples in the names, like plural, like there's three different names to make disciples of, or there's three different gods. He says to make them in the name of, singular, of one God, but yet that one God exists in threeness. And there's a couple of other places that the Bible refers to this idea, refers to this, this concept of threeness. And I want to I point out a couple for you. Paul, in his benediction to the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians, it'll be on scene, Second Corinthians 13, 14. He's basically ending this prayer, but notice the Trinitarian language that he communicates to this church. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or, let's look at 1 Peter, another apostle. 1 Peter 1, as he's writing to these elect exiles, he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse 2, notice the language here. It says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So although, church we don't see that word Trinity come up in Scripture. And there's many places I could have gone gone to. What we see is repeatedly Jesus and the other authors, especially in the New Testament, are constantly pointing out that there's this threeness to God. There's this threeness to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, eternally existing as three different persons. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack, okay, what what does that all mean? What does that all mean? And it's going to take a few weeks because this is important. And we want to go as slow as as the Spirit allows us to for the sake of actually knowing and understanding this. But for the rest of our time this morning, this is what I want to do, is I want to kind of give a brief overview of why this series Or how is this series going to impact the life of this church? It's going to impact the life of believers. So these are the three areas that I want to look at. It's why study the Trinity today? Why this church right now, why should we study the Trinity, every single one of us? Number two, how does the Trinity actually shape our communion with God? And number three, how does the Trinity provide the very foundation for the gospel? Those are the three things. Why study the Trinity? How the Trinity shapes our communion with God? And then how does the Trinity provide the very foundation for the gospel? Okay? So let's begin with number one. Why study the Trinity today? Because isn't this, right, just some lofty doctrinal academic ascent? Right, this is just for a few people who are really excited about doctrine, or maybe they feel called to preach or teach theology. Doesn't this just serve them? Or maybe another way that I think probably others would phrase it is, is it really helpful for Christians, everyday Christians, normal Christians with normal 9-to-5 or blue-collar white-collar jobs? Why would every Christian need to know this? Because, Pastor, don't you know what's going on in the lives of this church? Right? Don't you know that there's marriages falling apart? Don't you know that there's chemo treatments? Don't you know that there's trips to the urgent care? That there's Zoom calls with doctors? Don't you know that there's, there's meetings with lawyers and counselors? Don't you know that we have funerals to attend to? And it's even Mother's Day, for crying out loud. Why are we looking at the Trinity? Do you really think this is what the church needs right now? Yes, I do. I do, church. My answer is yes, and here's why. Because as a pastor, who, who I, to the best of my ability, I try to know what's going on in the lives of the people of this church, whom I am called to shepherd. I know that the best thing for us, church, Right, the best thing for us to do when things are rough is to actually have a rightful understanding of who God is. Because here's my concern. Here's my concern, church. Considering all the things I've mentioned of going on in the lives of people in this church. Which those are all true, by the way. None of those are made up. My concern is, do all of us when we go through those types of seasons in our lives, do we know the God in whom we are clinging to? Do you know what he is like? Right? Do you know what he is capable of doing? Right? When you're on those, th- those theoretical storms of life, right, and the boat's rocking, and you're kind of crying out, oh God, what am I going to do here? And you're clinging to him. What kind of God are you actually thinking about? That's my concern. That's my concern. What kind of God are you actually thinking about? And I think it makes all the difference in the world. And Let me introduce you to a man named Richard Sibbs. He was a Puritan theologian around the same time as Shakespeare. And he was referred to as this honey-mouth preacher. He was referred to as the honey-mouth preacher, and he was referred to that because when he talked about God, It was described as these these sun rays of light seemed to burst out of his mouth, that this this sweet honey nectar seemed to overflow out of him into his parishioners, and that they were just, even their hardest hearts seemed to just be satisfied or awakened to the goodness of God. And, And at one point, someone asked him, why are you like this? Like, is this just a show, right? Or are you different at home? How do you actually get that way? And this is how he answered that. It's it's the way that you view God. And he would say, "Then here's the quote on your screen, that it is our view of God that shapes us most deeply. We become like what we worship. Pretty impactful, right? Pretty impactful. And so, church, it's not that we're naive to the things of this world. Right? I think if, if, there's any, if there's any place in the world that's not naive to the reality of sin, it's this, it's this place. But we know that our only hope in that broken world is to do what? It's to cast our eyes on something better. Someone more powerful than me, more significant than me. And I don't want to cast my eyes onto someone that I'm just kind of making up and hoping it's real. Yeah, but, and I think we all tend to do that. We're, we're, very, we're very capable, church, of inventing a God to our own liking. Very capable of that. Even there's, there's this Dutch reformer named Herman Boving, who I'm just starting to read a lot of his literature, and so you're probably going to hear a lot coming from him. He's not going to replace Spurgeon. Don't worry, but he will supplement that. He says this he says there's a dual tendency of every human heart when it comes to when you what you think about the character of god he says option one is that we can think that god is distant and removed from us that this world is largely independent of god that we really are just left to our own doing that god may be there he may not be there but he's certainly not involved He's out there, and really it's up to us to pull up our bootstraps and get things done in this world. That's one option, a distant God. Option number two, he said, is that we actually then wrongly bring God down into our world completely. And we only believe in a God that's actually just like us. A God that has no exclusive power, right? No authority, no sovereignty in this world. And we tend to actually strip God of all his glory. And when you do that, church, do you know what happens? You actually start to deify all kinds of things. Constellations. Horoscopes. Even yourself. And so the answer you start looking for in this world is, well, what's most true to me? Now, Bavink, he comments on this, this, I think this dual tendency of every human heart. He says, but the truth is that the triune God is something far better than our hearts naturally drift towards. He says that the triune God is both afar and nearby. That he is both highly exalted above all creatures, but yet he is also intimately involved in his creation. That God is not just a creator, but also a creator. Redeemer, not just a redeemer, but also a sanctifier. And he says, to conclude this passage, he says, our triune God is one God and is above us, for us, and in us. And I don't know about you, but that's what my heart really needs to know. That I worship a God that's above me, different than me, but that's for me. And as we'll see in our look at God the Spirit, it's actually in me. And I don't want to cling to a God I don't know. That's what we're doing today, is trying to understand who is the God we're trying to cling to right now, no matter where you're at in life, right, no matter what you're going through. Who is the God you're trying to cling to? And I want to cling to the real God. And I want to have a sincere faith. Right? A sincere faith that's built upon the truth of the word of God. And if I could, can I give a quick Mother's Day sermon? Real quick. A sermon within the sermon. Okay? In 2 Timothy 1.5, uh, Paul, who's writing to this young pastor named Timothy, he actually reminds Timothy that his faith, his sincere faith was passed down by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and he just reminds them hey the women in your life their sincere faith they actually pass that down to you and so for this Mother's Day moms your theology really matters It really matters. Because by God's grace, you're going to be able to pass that down to the next generation. And you want to pass down a sincere and real faith. And so my prayer for you is that that you would would take this approach to try to understand who God is very seriously. Because by God's grace, there's going to be people down your family line who will maybe look back. And go, this is the God in whom my grandma or who my mom anchored herself in. And I want to do the same. So happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. All right, end of Mother's Day sermon. I really am so thankful for you and all the the different, my own mom and all the, the ones that have played just a huge motherhood role in my life. Okay, so that's why we study the Trinity. Number two. How does the Trinity actually shape our communion with God? Because really the only reason, and I want to show you this throughout the next couple of weeks, the only reason that we actually have relationship with the one true God is actually because of the Trinity. Once again, let me point you to our 1689 Confession. And it says this at the end of chapter 2. He says, The truth of the Trinity is the foundation of all our fellowship with God and our comforting dependence on Him. And the way that we pray often reflects this. Do you recall in Matthew 6, and we do this from time to time to end our service, when we, we go through what's known as the Lord's Prayer, and we recite that together, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, do you remember the first line of that prayer? Our what? Father. Our Father. Which is remarkable, and would have been a scandalous way to pray for many of them for many of the Jews who are right, trying to learn this first. Because how in the world, how in the world could sinners like you and me approach a holy and righteous God and not just confess Him as the Father that's been revealed in the Word, but as our Father, right? The intimate our Father. Well, it's actually because of the work of the Trinity. In John fourteen six, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus would say, that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And then 1 Corinthians tells us that no one comes to Jesus except through the Holy Spirit. So it's actually the work of the Trinity that we actually pray, that we, we come to God our Father by the person and work of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why we pray in Jesus' name. Right? It's why we pray under the power of that Spirit. So church, our very communion with God is actually based on the Trinity. And one of the areas that we're going to look at in the coming weeks is our relationship with God comes out of our, His relationship within Himself. And here's what I mean. When the disciples were asking Jesus if they could see God the Father... And they wanted to, they, 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 were, you know, they were taught how to pray to God the Father, and they were saying, Jesus, when are we actually going to see the Father? And his response was, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because him and I are one. And, and here's why that matters for us, is because if we, have conf- we can have confidence then that when we look to Jesus, right, when we behold him, we're actually beholding God the fullness of who God is. We're not having to wonder, what is God like? Jesus has shown us that, because He is God. And Him and the Father are one. So if we consider the love of Christ, which we see poured out on the cross most particularly, we know that the love of Christ is representative of the love of God. It's the same love that God the Father has. It's the same love that God the Spirit has. We're not having to wonder, well, Jesus may feel that way about me, but not the Father. No, they're inseparable. They have inseparable operations, meaning they're after the same thing. It's not as if the Father has his plan, the Son has his plan, the Holy Spirit has his plan. They have one plan. So whenever you see one person of the Trinity working, you're seeing the whole plan of God being revealed to you. Furthermore, we're going to explore the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, where we're actually given this this transcript of Jesus praying to God the Father in this intimate moment. And we're going to look at this phrase that's towards the end of John 17, when Jesus basically asks God the Father to show his love to his people, the same love in which the Son and the Father have together. That's the kind of love I'm after. I don't want, I want a, you know, a second class, a JV love. I I want the love that's been around for all eternity. And so we're going to look at that. I know I'm giving you a lot this morning. I'm very aware of that. And we're just scratching the surface, to be honest. But it's important for us just to begin to think about the beauty and the magnitude of the Trinity when it comes to the Christian life. Now, lastly, point number three. How does the Trinity provide the very foundation for the gospel? Because if you've been here for any length of time, you probably have recognized That we are very big on teaching and preaching the gospel. That we are what is known as a gospel centered church. That it drives everything in which we do. And we always want to recognize the good news of Jesus. That's what the gospel is it's good news. It's the good news that Jesus came and lived a life that we could not live and died the death we deserved, right? And rose from the grave. Conquering Satan's sin and death because Jesus was the full and final payment that satisfied the wrath of God? Well, the good news of that gospel is actually built upon the Trinity. It's built upon the foundation of the Trinity. And let me give you some examples. Because without the Trinity, there would have been no plan of redemption before the foundation of the world. Right When we looked at Genesis 3 and we saw sin enter the world and we saw God give this promise that He was going to send someone to defeat Satan, sin, and death, do you know that that was not the first time that God had talked about the promise? Do you know that eternity past, before He created everything, the Trinity actually had this council saying, this is what we're going to do. So even before Genesis 3, The gospel had already been talked about within the Trinity. Without the Trinity, then there's actually no plan for God to enter this world through humanity, through the incarnation, through Jesus Christ. And if there's no Jesus Christ coming into the world, or if there was no Jesus to come to atone for the sins of the elect, that means that we would still be in our sins. And if Jesus was not God not only fully humanity on the, fully human on the cross, but also fully God, then we would have no hope or confidence that Jesus' payment for sin was an eternal payment for sin. If he was not an eternal God, eternally begotten by the Father. See, the only way that one sacrifice could be eternal for past, present, and future is if the sacrifice came from an eternal source. That's why God the Son matters. Without the Trinity, there is no seal of salvation through God the Spirit. That there's no change of heart to believe and embrace the gospel. Or a technical way to say it is, there's no regeneration without the Trinity. Right? There's no Holy Spirit that can take a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh to actually give us the ability to believe the gospel without the Spirit. You see how the Trinity makes all the difference in the world? Without the Trinity, there's no assurance. There's no down payment for our eternal destination. There is no preservation of the saints. And we would have no confidence this morning without the Trinity. We would have no confidence that God will complete what He has started in us without the Trinity. So I guess what I'm trying to say is our whole life is banking on the reality of the Trinity. Right? Our whole life in this world, our only hope in this world is banking on the reality of the Trinity. So to close, I want to admit that there are going to be aspects of the Trinity that we will not understand. We're just not going to understand. There's going to be mystery still. The Trinity is infinite. We are not. We're finite. Which is actually good news, right? Because if, if, if you could completely figure out who God is, what kind of God would that be? I have some awareness of my, my mental capacity. And if I could fit all of God in here, I don't know if I'd want to trust that God. There's not a whole lot of room in here. I want a bigger God than that. So what I want to do to to end our time is I actually want to look back at what we looked at to begin our service this morning, our call to worship text. And that was Psalm 27, 4. And although I didn't give commentary before I read it earlier, just real briefly, I I want you to be have special attention to the last line of Psalm 27.4, when the psalmist David, he's asking God that he would be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's my hope for this series. It's not that you would just have mere theological information. It's not just that you'd maybe have to be able to parse out what does it mean that God is the eternal, begotten Son of God. Not that you would just understand some different dynamics of what the Trinity is, but that we would walk out of this church gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of the Trinity. And so let me read this one more time. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Church, may we spend our days in the next few weeks gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of the triune God, to his glory, In our joy. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, as we just come to a close of this portion of our liturgy, and God, I am thankful that we do worship a triune God, that you are a triune God. And God, we want to know what that means. We want to experience in whatever ways that you allow us to experience in this life. What, what does that mean for us? What does it mean that we can share in the love in which you, Father, have with the Son? What does it mean that, Holy Spirit, that you have proceeded out of the Father and of the Son? God, we want to know these things because you have revealed these things in your word. But we are desperate for you to help us in that endeavor. The Lord, we love you. And we need you. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. <coughs> Amen. All right. Well, if you guys are able to, will you please stand? We're going to respond with one more song. And it's going to be a, a new song to us. Pay attention to, to how the, the composers of this song desired for us to see the beauty of the Lord our God as a trinity. Let's sing together. So, so this is a new song to us, and um, some songs, you know, you can kind of pick it up the first time you hear it. There's a chorus that is just kind of catchy, and you can pick up the melody. This is not one of those songs. <laughs> So, we will do this more than once and we will learn it and it's a beautiful song, um, but for today, um, uh, (coughs) if nothing else, really pay attention to the lyric of this song um, and it's okay to kind of listen and learn but really, you know, don't get lost trying to pick up the melody and miss the lyric because it's it's really beautiful. Praise to Him, the God of light, who formed the mountain.